As we continue our series uh, of living, thinking, being different in this world, today we're going to hone in on a call for us to live on mission in a dark world. Living on mission in a dark world. My guess is for most of us, uh, we have genuine concern, maybe for the direction of our country, for the, uh, the situation that exists around the world, for the fear that that is just gripping people for the, the sinfulness that may be rampant uh, for the downright evil that we see exist. And because of media and, and technology, oftentimes we can see some of the worst of humanity each and every day. And as concerning as this is, and it ought to concern us and grieve us, we need to understand this is not a new phenomenon. In fact, the story of humanity from creation until its end is a story of really us trying to turn away from God. Our aspirations to live outside of God's lordship and his blessing, our fascination as humans of being our own God, making our own rules, having our own way, even at the cost of others. And so the evil, the moral decay, the anti-theistic views, they're troubling, they're disheartening, but they're in no way a surprise to the Lord. And so as followers of Jesus, we are called to engage this situation, to do something about it, to live on mission in a dark world. But let's be honest, it's tempting for believers for us to kind of huddle together, to see and understand that darkness and to see that evil and kind of point it out in judgment and condemnation of those kind of people doing those things and we huddle together maybe to feel safe or to feel good about ourselves while distancing ourselves from the darkness that exists around us. But hiding and judging and condemning is not God's will for our lives. I mean, I think of even my own life prior to coming to Christ, it was not a highlight film of purity or goodness or love of God or others. But we have to understand as believers, if somebody is spiritually lost, we can't expect for them to live morally right and pure lives in a way that honors God or blesses others. And so we have to do something about it. But there's an equal temptation sometimes. We take this burden and sometimes we're tempted to shift it, shift the responsibility of making an impact, of engaging the world. We shift our hope onto things like programs or governments or political platforms, or even individuals. We rid ourselves of the responsibility and the call that we have as followers of Christ to live on mission and engage this darkness. And you know, I think of the election coming this week. We ought to be pleading for God's guidance and his direction for our country and our communities. But we also have to be honest. There's one hope and one solution to the darkness around us. And that is the love and the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ alone. The kingdom of God that Jesus brought and that we are to build as our primary responsibility is the responsibility of the local church, the body of Christ, you and I, each and every follower of Jesus Christ. See, the kingdom of God, the love of God, it transcends the structures of man. And it will never be stopped nor achieved by anything other than God's spirit of salvation moving through the local church and every believer and follower of Christ. And so our hope in a dark world has to be in Christ alone. Amen. There's nothing else, nowhere else that it can be. He alone is the light that overcomes the darkness. 
That's why John, in John 1, he said this, when Jesus came into this world, he came into the darkness. What, is he, he did, what did he do? He's, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot extinguish it. Jesus alone is the light. He is the way, the truth, and the life to rescue us from the spiritual darkness that invades our life, to rescue those still stuck in that darkness. And so we know without Jesus, the world is lost. It's lost in darkness. There's no hope, and it ought to grieve our hearts that our brothers and sisters aren't just stuck in this world, stuck in darkness and in sin, but they're destined for separation from God if something doesn't happen. And so as followers of Jesus, we're not called to sit back and to judge and to condemn the darkness, but to take the light that Jesus has placed inside of us and to go into that darkness because where the light is, the darkness flees. Amen. And God's children can come back to him. And so what do we know? What do we know from the scripture? We know that from the beginning of creation until the end, it is a story of redemption, of God going out of his way to rescue his children from darkness, to rescue you and I and others who are captive to sin, stuck in darkness, headed for eternal separation from him. And it's our responsibility, our call to be a part of that work. Now, I'll be honest, when I think about the darkness, the evil that exists, there are often times where I just want Jesus to come back now. I even argue with him, like, what are you waiting for? Like, I'd love for him to come back. If he came back before Tuesday, that'd probably be a really good thing for, for everybody, right? <laughs> I mean, there's that urgency, that desire for us to be with him, for sin and evil to be, be vanquished once and for all. But if there is a reason why he is waiting, it's so that his children can come back to him. Because when he comes back, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But for those who don't know him, they'll confess that in judgment and be separated from him. And so as believers, our call isn't to just want that for us, to want heaven for us, but to have an urgency in our heart to engage those who are in darkness so that they might know his love and his grace. That's why Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So I'm so glad he was patient with me. He gave me time to understand his love and his purpose in my life. He gave me time to surrender my life to him. And if he's waiting to come back, he's waiting for his children who are stuck and lost in darkness to come back to him. And so for us, we get to be a part of that redeeming story. We get to take the light into the darkness so that others might experience who he is and turn their lives over to him. And so as we talk about living on mission, on going, it's a responsibility for each and every one of us. You know, Jesus, he gave us a couple passages, the great commission and the great commandment that can kind of guide us in the direction that he wants us to go. First, in, in the great uh, commission that he gave, this is what he told his disciples right before he went to heaven. He said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. We are called to go. We are called to live on mission, to share the good news of the gospel with others. And as we do that, how we do that is guided by the great commandment. You know, somebody said, Jesus, what's the most important thing we can do with our life? And he responded in this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So these two passages together, they, they really shape all of our purposes in life. And Pastor Mark, in a couple weeks, even he's going to go through these and show, show you how they really shape the direction of our church and the purpose and the direction of every member. But it's reading those, we also know, like, we're called to do something. We're called to live on mission. We're called to take the good news of Jesus to others. And so the question is, how do we do that? how do I fulfill my life's mission? And so if you're following along on your church app or if you happen to grab a bulletin, um, I encourage you in just the last few minutes that we have together, uh, we're just gonna focus in on a couple things that can give us some guidance and direction in fulfilling this mission that God's given to each and every one of us. You know, it's tempting when we talk in terms of mission, we talk in terms of doing things for God, it's tempting for us to take that and to put it in a compartment of our lives, right? I know I'm supposed to love other people or to serve God or share the good news of Jesus. And so I'm going to do that over here by joining this program. Or I'm going to do that by going on this missions trip. Or I'm going to do that by serving in this ministry. But it's not so much about the do as it is about who. Who we are. Who I am as a follower of Christ. Who you are as a follower of Christ. Who you are in God's family. And how you live that out. See, if we figure out who we are, then what we do will flow through that and it will honor God and it will bless others and it will bring people into relationship with him. And so the first step in fulfilling my mission is to accept my identity, accept my true identity in Christ. See, if you've come to a place where you've understood God's grace and accepted the good news of the gospel, the Bible has much to say about who you are. We get an identity transformation. We are made new. We are a new creation. And not only that, our identity is found then in our faith in Jesus and our place in God's family. That's what uh, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. And because of who you are, as a result, then you can show the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. See, through faith in Jesus, we are God's very own possession. The sons and daughters of the king of the universe were adopted into his family where we're secure forever in our identity as God's children. He's lavished his love upon us. He's filled us with every spiritual gift that we need to live that out. So it's really about who we are. It's not about having to measure up to God's standards with just the do's and the don'ts. We are, we are accepted. And through that acceptance, we have freedom and we have joy in our relationship with God. And through that freedom and joy, we follow God. We obey his instruction 
because we love him and we understand how much he loves us. And so the challenge for us as we think about living on mission is where is my identity? Am I living in that freedom in Christ or when I talk about the things God wants me to do, am I still seeing it as trying to measure up? I got to do this to gain his approval. He's accepted us. So we accept that, that place in his family. And as we do that, as we know who we are, then that goodness and that grace of God, the joy and the freedom of God flows through us to a people who are lost, a people who need to know how loved they are. And so Peter says, as a result, again, of who you are, the second part of that verse, as a result of who you are, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a living testimony of what it means to leave spiritual darkness and be in the light of Jesus and experience the freedom that comes from that. And so we first, we start with who we are. And then second, if we're going to fulfill the mission of God, we need to understand God's mission. We need to understand the mission of God. And again, the Bible, it's a picture from the beginning to the end of God's mission to rescue us, to redeem us. But if we we're going to maybe to condense that into a phrase or, or a sentence that we can remember easily and that can guide us, it, it could be put this way. God's mission is that the worship of God and the mercy of God would be everywhere. Simply put, God's mission is that the worship of God and the mercy of God would be everywhere. In other words, as we come into relationship with God, as we encounter his, his presence, we can't help but worship him. As we gather collectively to worship him, it is so encouraging to our souls. And his mercy comes down upon us. In those times, his mercy has come down through the life of Jesus. I think it's interesting, most of the times when we get a glimpse of heaven, like in Revelation 7 or in Isaiah 6, we see all of heaven worshiping God simply because his presence is there fully. For you and I, as, as his creation, as we encounter the presence of God, as we encounter the presence and the character of our creator, as we see his faithfulness and his goodness in our lives, there's something in our soul that just wants to respond with awe, with wonder, with worship, that the God of the universe knows us individually, specifically, cares about us, has a plan for you and I. And so our response ought to be worship. And our response for all of eternity is going to be worship as we get to experience his presence more fully. That's why it's so awesome when we invite even our unchurched friends here to worship with us. Because as they worship with us, they can experience the presence of God. And his mercy can press in on their heart. Just even right now as he's pressing in on some hearts who haven't come to faith in him yet. Drawing you in saying, trust me. I love you. My plans for you are good to prosper you. Receive my love and forgiveness and grace. And so we're called to live our lives as a form of worship. That's the, the framework for our entire series from Romans 12.1. That's what uh, Paul encourages us. He says, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you, the mercy and the goodness that he's poured out for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind that he will find acceptable. This is the true way to worship him. We're called to be a living act of worship to God. 
And as we do that, as we live in response to who God is, who he's made us to be, it draws others into his goodness. It allows them to experience his mercies. It's, it allows them to see the joy and the hope that we have in our lives, and it is contagious. See, the mercy of God is what draws us as we're lost into relationship with him. That mercy came through Jesus, and that was part of his mission. In Luke 19, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The mercy and grace of God will break through our hardened hearts and bring us from being lost to being found. And so as the mercy of God presses in on us, let us respond with worship. And not only that, let's not hold that mercy and that grace to ourselves, but let it flow out from us to others so they can experience God's presence, so they can know about his goodness and his faithfulness, so they can encounter his character. See, this mission, the worship of God, the, the mercy of God being everywhere, that's given to the local church. That's given to each and every believer. And so that is you and I. That's our responsibility. If we've said yes to Jesus, this mission becomes our life mission. And that's the third thing. If it's our mission, the way that we fulfill it is we live on mission. Makes sense, I think. We just simply live on mission. We, we live with this framework that all that I do ought to be a pleasing worship to God. That all that I, I do ought to be an example of God's mercy and his love and his grace, especially those, to those who are lost, those who are in darkness. See, living on mission, simply put, is, is living by faith and worship to God and just sharing life with others. We actively look for God's mercy, his grace, his favor to flow through us to impact our family to impact our coworkers, to impact even those people we can't stand, to go everywhere that we go so that they might encounter the grace of God through us. See, Jesus began his, his ministry with this vision from Luke 4. He said that the spirit of the Lord is on me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives would be released, that the blind would see, that the oppressed would be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Amen. And he spent his time showing that and doing that here on this earth. And then before he left, as he was praying to his father in the garden, speaking about us, he says this. He said, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them every believer, everyone who would come after me, I am sending them into the world with this same mission. It's for all of us. If we've called upon God to save us, to guide and direct us, this is where he's leading us to, that we would live with this mission in mind. And I think about that, and maybe you can think about just that verse alone in Luke 4. We think about the darkness in the world, think about our relationships. We think about those who are spiritually poor and broken, separated from God. Think about those in your sphere of influence who are captive and oppressed to sinful behaviors. Think of those who are blind and can't see the way out. God wants to reach them, wants to set them free, wants to restore their sight, wants to release the captive, and most often he wants to do that through our influence and our impact on their lives. Not that we would hide from darkness or those caught in despair, that we would engage it and they would see light and hope through our lives. And so for us, 
it just becomes part of who we are everywhere we go, that we would be a living example of the gospel. We like to say around here that we are all just ordinary people empowered by God to make a difference wherever we are. If we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have the power of God inside of us so that no matter where we go, people can see the light of Jesus, the hope that Jesus brings. And they can come into relationship with Jesus. And so the challenge for us is, is my life really a living example of the gospel? When people look at me, maybe even without me saying anything, do they see hope? Do they see salvation? Do they see God? St. Francis of Assisi is credited with saying, at all times preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Is my life a living example, a living act of worship to where when people look at me, they say, man, I see something different, and that different is the impact of God, the salvation that comes through Jesus and his favor and direction on our lives. And so as we live consistent in our life, the way we live, the way we love, the way we give, if, if we are different, if we live in a way that honors God, that's inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, it will have great impact on the world around us. It'll show them the transforming love of God. But if our testimony's inconsistent, if our life is inconsistent, it has the impact and the potential of never drawing people in. You know, for example, if I talk about an unconditional love of God that accepts us where we're at and changes us into the image of Christ, and yet I spew hatred or judgment, if I bring division, how do I ever expect an unbelieving friend to trust in Jesus, to see my life as anything different than what's normal? For us as Christ followers, it's a challenge to say, what does my life look like? And how does God want to use me in every component of my life? Who I am at work, who I am as a parent, who I am as a child, who I am as a friend or a classmate, who I am in everything that I do to give God glory and to bless other people. It invades every part of who we are. And so today the challenge for us is this, am I living on mission and simply does my life look like the gospel? Look like the grace and the goodness of God? You know, as much as this is a part of everyday life, sometimes it's helpful for us to have an avenue maybe to get started in thinking about this and living this out, to get started in God's grace pouring through us into other people. 